Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and welcoming back to the show Peter McCormack from the What Bitcoin Did podcast. He has had six or seven weeks of a complete whirlwind, which we unpack at length in this discussion. I wanted to get Pete on the show because I was listening to his recent interviews with Jack Mallers and with the president of El Salvador. And I thought to myself, God damn, he's got some holiday stories to tell. And I just know for a fact his normie mates down the pub are not going to want to listen. They're just not going to be interested. But there's a bunch of us Bitcoin plebs who are gagging to find out what went on behind the scenes. So I invited Pete on uh, to talk about his holiday uh, or working holiday, as uh, he will explain. It was a whirlwind tour and uh, Pete gets a bit uh, emotional in part of this episode so um yeah big up to you mate thank you for coming on and uh, and for sharing and before we do the episode i would like to say thank you to all the plebs that are sharing and liking and retweeting and supporting the show also the sponsors coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten relay.ch forward slash bitten and swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten the plebs can go stack sats with all these guys they are bitcoin only companies and they have you covered and then make sure you take control, get a Bitbox 02 hardware wallet. That's the Bitcoin edition from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. That will get you a 5% discount. This is a great hardware wallet, brilliant piece of kit, full of great privacy features, and it's going to keep your stack safe. So make sure you go and do that. Here's Pete. Thanks for listening, guys. We're good to go. Good morning. Good morning, Pete. How are you doing, mate? Great to see you again. And you, man. Have you got a new internet connection? Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Uh, yeah. Bought myself a, uh, a 4G uh, home I, box, I, which I um, is far it. better. Yeah, you pay 10 bucks a month and you pull down much better internet. Hopefully, if it's not too cloudy. But today, we're good. Is that all it was? We've got a much better internet. 10 euros a month? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Damn. Also, you look like you've got a tan, mate. You've been out Sunday then. We've been on holiday, Have mate. You? Yeah, but you live on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been? All right, says the, says the guy that's just been traveling around for the last two or three months. That was what? This, this was going to be the theme. This is going to be the theme of the, the whole podcast. Okay. Pete's holiday story. Pete's holiday. I haven't had a holiday. I can't remember the last time I had a holiday. It was, it was all hard work. <laughs> it does sound like uh, amazing work, though. That was, uh, that was the point. But uh, first of all, uh, Lauren, what what did you want to uh, know about what Pete's up to? Lauren, hi. I got two questions now. Ooh, uh-huh. she's getting big. So yeah. two. So one, the first question: Did you go to the Bitcoin conference? Yes, I went to the Bitcoin conference. <laughs> what did you want to go? Yes, but we're not allowed to go. Because you're not allowed to travel. Yeah. I tell you what, Lauren. I'll tell you, I'll do this for you. If uh, if you come next year, and I'm MC, 
because I was MC and I was introduced to people on stage, I will arrange it so you can come and introduce someone on stage. How do you feel about that? Maybe. Maybe. I'll be a bit... <laughs> All right. Well, you can come on stage with me and just like stand there if you want, but I'll get you involved, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you got uh, a year to think about that. Yeah. And yeah. also, I only wanted to go for the dumplings and the tacos. <laughs> I just wanted to go for the food. The food trucks. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. We had, we had David on the show and he was telling us all about the food trucks that, uh, that we're going to be That's there. fair. Right, what's your real question? What was your other question? My other question is, why did you make another movie? Well, so why did I make another movie? To be honest, I was just asked if I wanted to make a movie. Jack Mallers uh, called me up and he said, Pete, what are you doing for the next couple of weeks? And I said, I'm probably going to South America because I have to go somewhere for two weeks so I can get into the US. He was like, cool, do you want to come to El Salvador? I was like... Well, I love El Salvador. And he was like, cool. Well, we want someone to make a film about something. I was like, I'm up for it. I'm going to do it. I'm in. So that's it. That's why I make, made another movie. And I've got another couple planned, actually. I quite like making movies, Lauren. There's no money in it, but I like it. Do you know when you're dropping the uh, the one with Jack and the El Salvador story? You know, this is the tricky bit. We recorded five to six weeks of material. So that's going to take... Mm two to three months to edit at least. Uh, I mean, I, I can't touch the editing for two weeks because I've got to catch up. I've, I haven't been away for six weeks. Uh, and then it's just, I've got to lock myself away, switch off Twitter and just watch all the content and then figure out exactly what the story is I'm going to tell. Because i tell you what the thing is about Lauren. Um, I'm very new to filmmaking. Um, and... Uh, you can't really decide the film you're going to make in advance. You you think you might, and you might have ideas, but what tends to happen with documentary filmmaking is they say the story finds itself. So whilst you're filming, things happen, and you find the story. So I've got a good idea of what I'm going to make, but not exactly. Lauren, I've got one question for you. Mm. You're yawning. How late did you go to bed? Uh, well, I kind of went to bed at, like, 10. I go to bed normally around like 9-ish, nearly to 10, because mm. like we eat dinner pretty late. And also, we came back from a Japanese restaurant. Um, Tough life. So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it restaurants, was actually, yeah. Well, yeah restaurants are open. They are. So yeah. we can visit them. Yeah. Yes. It was really good. Uh, but yeah, there was a bit more of excitement because we had a huge electrical thunderstorm. So wow. all the power was knocked out. And yeah, so like, and up. also so, since it was thunder, I had to go sleep with my brother. Because it was scary. It was just like, pew! It, the light was so bright, it lit up the sky. Wow. So that kept you awake longer. Yeah, that it? kept me awake. But then I fell asleep because you know, I just wanted to get that thing over and done with. And then, and then the fan came on because my brother pressed the one button uh, just in case the power came back on, the fan will be on. And then the fan came back on, so we were... We were nice brother. and cool. Brother, what are you so. doing? You're back in school. Right. So do you have any more do you have any more questions? I'm still in school. Uh no. No? No. But I always right. want to carry on okay. talking to you, Lauren. Your dad always wants to get rid of you. Maybe we we need the Lauren show. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. We we were talking to NTC VTC uh two days ago and uh, I, I think yeah, oh, he, he yeah. held the record for Engaging Lauren for the longest, I think. Yeah, it was almost 30 minutes. Well, I think we... I think I've been like an hour before. No. Really? No. Really? 
I think we. Wow. I think we're getting closer to me coming down to visit, but to being allowed. To actually yes. sitting in the garden yes. with your dad and drinking too much wine. Yeah. Uh, can I join? No, no, but I'll bring Scarlet. I'll bring Scarlet with me, and and you can hang out with her, and I don't know, watch TikTok or. Whatever his girls do. Seems to be what they all, all the yeah, kids do. Yeah, this is what I do. Except I sometimes do puzzles and do my classes. What? That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Not enough Bitcoiners on TikTok. Yeah, that's why not, you not should that, have TikTok. Not that I know because I've never looked at it. But... It's awful. I, I don't get it. I, why don't you do it, Lauren? I, Lauren's Bitcoin channel on TikTok. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You, you can I, call it TikTok Next Block. Ooh, that was quick. Really, Here, we go. Here we go. I really <laughs> doubt um, anyone will watch it. I would. Like, I know there's more than 2 million people on TikTok, but still, I think only, like, half of that is going to, like, watch it. I think my daughter was Scarlett. Would you watch a Bitcoin TikTok channel by a girl a similar age to you? Yeah. Scarlett will watch it. <laughs> there you go. Wait, how old is Scarlett? Scarlett's 11. How old are you? I'm 10. Scarlett, come here. It's my friend Daniel. No, 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 Scarlett. There's a girl your age here. I'm too cool. She's just got out of bed. She doesn't want to be rocking in front of the camera. I get it. I get it. Like, um, She's done her when, hair. When uh, we were going to... Yeah, I, I was freaking about that because like, my dad told me uh, this morning. I was like, wait, there's a podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, you told me this. And my hair was a mess. Oh. It was just like all over the place. So then I just ran upstairs, did like this part, only this part, because you're only going to see this part. And then 20 minutes went by. It was just like... Daddy. That's my fault. When, when is this going to start? No, that's my fault. So then I just brushed my whole entire hair. No, Lauren, that's my fault. Because what happens is your dad always agrees a time with me. Let's do like a Sunday morning coffee. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I always end up waking up late and like, oh. And I, I, had, to, I had to go and get myself a coffee. So so this was my fault again. And I'm sorry to, again, again I'm sorry. <laughs> i tell you what we'll do one day. I'm going to come over there. I'm going to bring, bring all my equipment and we're going to record one in person. You, me, your dad, Scarlett, father, daughter, head to head. You know what we should do? Go on. We should do like, like me and Scarlett should do a podcast and see how many hits it gets. And you two should do a podcast. No, wait. See, if we like, lose. Like the winner. No, because if we lose, that's, that's going to be the end of our careers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then we take it. Which you've only just started. <laughs> Scarlett's a bit camera shy sometimes. She made her first appearance this week. She came into one with um, American Hoddle and CJ Wilson. Mm-hmm. Her first little appearance. I tricked her. Did she uh, Did she enjoy uh, the hang? No, she hates it. She never wants to go on. Scarlett, really? do you want to say hello? No, my hair is a mess, <laughs> exactly. Believe me, I get, I get oh, you. I agree. Yeah, it looks lovely, darling. Oh, anyway, there's no chance. There's no chance. Next time. Next time, Lauren. Next time. All right, Lauren. Yeah. Are you done? Are you going to let us get on with the, the podcast? No more questions. No, I'm taking it over now. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. All right, Lauren. I've got big things to talk about with your dad. You got anything else you want to throw in here? Yeah. Uh... Well, do you, you can. Well, if I ask Pete a question, maybe you you can you can listen. You can carry on listening if you want. No, I'm gonna leave the Bitcoin stuff to you. All right, I'm gonna go. Bye, Hi, Lauren. Good to see you. <laughs> How did I know that might Bye. be? Bye. <laughs> Yeah, mate, you look well. Oh, you look really well. Thank where you. Did you. So did where you. did you go on holiday? We were in Spain. On which part? We had two weeks. We had a week in Mallorca Lovely. and uh, a week down in uh, Marbella as well. Nice. I, so, I love both parts. Very, 
Mallorca. Uh, I'm trying to remember what's the on the east coast. Um, what's the what's the uh, Andalusia? On the, yes, uh, in um, on the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. Down, yes. Yeah, and in Marbella. Very, very nice part. We imported Benus. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. Way stayed well away from there. <laughs> Although um, my my daughter met um, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, she, who's sixteen. She met some some new friends, uh, a bunch of Spanish kids uh, around uh, around the resort, and one of their fathers took them all into Puerto Benus on on their last night of their stay, and they they invited her along. And she come back. She's like, "Daddy, that place, like, what is up with that place?" I'm like, "I know." <laughs> It's just crazy. She's like, there's Ferraris everywhere. Yeah. There's like these huge yachts and like fake. Everything's just seemed fake. Yeah. Like, yep. We used to go, That's... me and my mates used to go in our 20s. And there's, uh, what's the name of that? There's a bar called Sinatra's. And it's right on the corner. And people are always drinking up and down the street. And then cars are always coming down. So everyone has to step back and let the cars through. And uh, I was there with my best mate. And uh, we met this couple of girls. And we're hanging out with them, and uh, a car came past, and one drove over the back ankle of this girl. It was awful. And then she ended up having to go to a hospital, and it completely basically snapped her ankle. Yeah, awful. Apart from that, though, we had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Great place. Yeah, man. Yes. Mate, so last time we spoke uh, was 18th of. April, because we spoke and I uh, dropped the episode that day. That was the day after your house fire. Yeah. If uh, if you remember that madness, when did the madness of all of this start unfolding? Because I was listening to you and Jack the other day, and um, I, you know, like I said to you in the in the voice note, it's like you, you've probably got the best holiday stories to share for the last two months but your normally friends down the pub are just gonna like they're not interested no no, no. so <laughs> like you've got no outlet it's so funny <laughs> you should say that because like uh, i i can't believe what's happened this last what eight seven eight weeks and uh i haven't even spoke to one of my mates about it they, they don't care <laughs> they've got no idea but uh i think i probably already knew that i was going when i spoke to you I can't even remember the date I went. It was the start of May, around the start of May. I'd have to look at it. It, w- it was close to that because I remember you saying that you were going to go to Antigua or something for yeah. a couple of weeks uh, to try and circumnavigate the, the, the bullshit then I didn't uh, know. restrictions. Then I didn't know. So I must have spoken to Jack in the next literally handful of days because it was right at the start of May I left because I got back on... like the, Yeah, because I was going to go for five weeks and I think I went for six. Yeah, so it must have been within... The next couple of days I found out and then early May I, f- I flew uh, Germany, Costa Rica to El Salvador, a uh, couple of weeks filming in El Salvador where I ended up kind of getting in that thing where I provoked Elon Musk. Then I went to Guatemala for three days. Uh, then I went to Dallas, hung out with John Kim and went out in his Lamborghini, which was weird. Then I went to Chicago for four days. Then I flew to LA, interviewed Eric Weinstein. Uh, literally stayed one night, then flew to the Indy 500 where I got a, a helicopter into the track with Russo Kung, Jack, um, Jessica Vaughan, watched the Indy 500, like hung out on the track, met the driver and the, the team. Then from Indy, we went uh, went back to, uh, no, went to Miami, hosted the conference, met 
Dorsey, Mayweather, Logan Paul, Ron Paul, Tony Hawk, stop Laura Luma yelling at Jack Dorsey, met a girl, <laughs> took hung out with this girl for a few days, went to New York for four days, interviewed Michael Malice, hung out there, did something I can't I can't like something happened which I can't actually announce yet. Got got spoke to the brother of the El Salvador president. So me and Jamie flew from New York to El Salvador, had a week there, interviewed, had a meeting with the president, interviewed the president, and then got on the plane and came home. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> that is a whirlwind. It, mate. It, mate, it was. That... It, it wasn't it wasn't all great because I've put my back out beyond belief. My back is mm-hmm. so screwed right now. And so I'm trying to basically figure out how that's gonna get fixed because I can't do anything till that's done. And I'm in like daily bad pain. Uh so just before we started, I had to literally go and hang upside down on an inversion board just so I can stand here. Yeah. Uh but yeah, mate, honestly, I uh, I'm so overwhelmed by it all. It's it's really hard to take it all in. It's been wild. Look, let's let's back it up, right? You you you're you're ready to go to Antigua. You'd figured out yeah, Antigua was the one. How you're gonna get right? So you're gonna go there for a couple of weeks. That's how you were gonna get into Miami. Yeah. Then Jack calls you, and probably sends you like the NDA, uh, non disclaimer agreement for those people that might be scratching their heads. What like when you saw that? What I mean. Well, I didn't know what he was going to tell me because he just said, look, we're going to want to go and make a film. I just need you to sign an NDA. So I was like, that wasn't to me, oh, El Salvador's going to make Bitcoin legal tender. That was just like... There, there was no there was no content at all. It's just like whatever I'm about to hear, I completely promise and yeah, cross yeah. my heart, hope to die, that I will not say, right, okay, yeah. wow, wow. Um, right. So, I mean, I was like, something's going on here, but I didn't... I hadn't pieced it together just because it was like that Pete, we need to make a film. Uh, we, you know, we could go to someone like vice, but we know you and we trust you will tell the story in the right way. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not really a proper filmmaker. I've done two and they're like pretty average. It's just like, you'll figure it out. What you to do? I was like, okay. So I was really thinking more about that. And then, uh, so I signed it, sent it over, and then we did the call, and, I was, and he told me, I was like, oh, fuck. Well, that changes everything. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal. So I was like, and then, and then I had a lot to think did, about, because, uh, you know, based on the dates. I was going to say, did, did, it, did, did it take a day or two for that to sink in? Because, like, you know, when it dropped, no. when, it, when it dropped, <laughs> no, as soon as it hit, I was like, this changes everything. This is, right. this changes everything in so many ways. And it, so it, what it didn't take, I, I instantly understood what it meant, but I had to then go and think about what the impact was, the implications, yada, yada. But also it's just like, suddenly it was like, shit. Because uh, originally I was going to go to Antigua for two weeks and then be in Miami for six days, right? So I was going to be away for basically three weeks. And I looked at the schedule, I was like, okay, now, now I need to be away for five weeks, which is, you know, my son lives with me full time and uh, my daughter's 50-50, so I had to... You know, go to my ex-wife, uh, who I don't always have the best relationship with, but to say, like, look, this opportunity has come up. I need to do this. And you know what? Fair play to her. She instantly said, no, go do this. I got you. I'll cover you. We'll figure this out. So that was very cool. And I had to sit and talk to the kids. And, you know, being away for five weeks is a big deal for them. 
and then it ended up being more than that because I extended twice. I extended to go to New York and interview Michael Malice, which is an interview I really wanted to do. And then I extended for El Salvador. So it ended up being just, just over six weeks away. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I was like, as soon as he told me, I was like, fuck, this is a game changer. And the kind of things were going through my head were, um, it wasn't so much about price. I wasn't like, this is going to, I thought, it, I thought it would shoot the price up. I'm surprised. I was actually surprised how little impact have on price. And I think if it had come at a different time, yeah, m- maybe it would have made a difference, but it came at a time where there was so much bad news happening at the same time. But it was more like, holy shit, what does this mean? What are the implications? And and, and to be honest, really couldn't even get my head around it. I, you know, I had to go to El Salvador and spend time with Jack and have him explain the detail. Wild though, right? It's wild. It's it's unbelievable, and look what it's already like. The domino effect mm. has just been, you know, in uh, in full on full tilt ahead it's it's just amazing so right so you you turn up um in el salvador uh and like the big news of the indycar thing as well that was all going on at the same yep. time <laughs> you and jack must have had your heads on fire with all of this shit going on yeah and also like he had his number two there dylan who's his best mate as well uh, and i actually spent most of my time with dylan like jack's very busy he has a lot on his plate uh you know, with the job and, and personally, I mean, he's a 27 year old, right? He's, um, he always calls himself a kid, but he's not a kid. He's like definitely a man. Uh, but like, he's got a lot of, compared to me, he's like a lot younger. He's, he's in that age where he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got, he's trying to balance his, uh, you know, relationships as well as do his work. And, and, you know, his discipline actually was, it actually it kind of gave me a kick up the ass because I watched how disciplined he was. He'd be up in the morning, training, eating well, not drinking, just focus so he could work well. And there's me like stuffing my face with Pringles and drinking a bottle of bottle of half of wine when I when, when I go to bed and then waking up like oh. And I was like, yeah, it's it's been a real. It, it kind of it's it's kind of had a massive impact on. Watching him has had an impact on me trying to take my own career seriously and i've put some things in place as well where i was like shit i i need to properly take my own stuff seriously because my my i've worked so hard this last four years daniel and i've put my health uh on the back seat and that's not been good and now i'm at a stage where i you know definitely when I travel with work, I definitely drink too much. I don't exercise. I put my back out and I just feel wrecked. So, so watching Jack, I was like, okay, yeah, that's stuff. That's, that's, that's something I need to think about. And what was the, um, we're all dying to know what it's like down at Bitcoin beach. It's cool, man. They're doing, it's amazing. Look, somehow at some point, uh, it's a pilgrimage you, you should try and make, even with the kids. You know, it is, it's perfectly, I'm going to take my kids, dude. It's perfectly mm-hmm. safe. Um, and uh, it's, be- I mean, it's a developing country. So, yes, there are good hotels, but, you know, the roads are a bit fucked. Uh, you know, it's black volcanic sand beaches. It's, it doesn't look, it's a different kind of paradise. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an understated paradise. It's, it's a developing paradise rather than like Bahamas or Barbados, right? 
but it's beautiful. The people are beautiful. The food's lovely. Sun, sun shines all the time. It's amazing. And this little, I always refer to this place at El Zonte where Michael Peterson, Michael Peterson yeah, mid-2019 planted this Bitcoin seed. And I, th I don't think he realized where this would go. I think he, he just started this project to create this little Bitcoin circular economy to help kids and help people who you know maybe are not in the most fortunate position and now that seed has grown into jack and the strike team coming there and the president making bitcoin legal tender and it's it's amazing it's really amazing mate i think um wasn't bethany hamilton she she was orange pilled when she was staying there as well she was mate yeah i've been talking to her as well uh she's an incredible human being have you seen the film <laughs> do you know the funny thing is right i think i have but I think I saw it a long time ago because right. what happened was she followed me because uh, somebody said to me, oh, you need to you should speak to Bethany Hamilton. Because what happened is when Miles was over there from uh, Cash App, there was this awful incident where Kathy Diaz, the most famous uh, surfer in El Salvador, who was probably going to make the Olympic team, was struck by lightning and killed. She's like 21 years old. Uh, and I met her brother. And when I was there, I was like, I, can't, I think I want to make a film about this. Uh, so I, I pitched a couple of investors. They said yes. And then I went and spoke to her brother. And I just said, look, I'd like to try and make a film about this. How do you feel? And he said, fine. And somebody said, oh, you need to talk to Bethany Hamilton. And I was like, cool. And I went on Twitter. I was like, oh, she's following me. So I was like, I opened up the thing and spoke to her. And then I did a bit of research. I was like, hold on. I, I know her story. So I'm not sure if it's a story I read or I've seen the film. Uh, but I'm planning to watch the film. If I haven't seen it, I'm planning to watch it. If I have, plan to see it again with my kids. But I'm, it's like one of those things I can't tell if I have or it's deja vu or whatever. But I definitely know the story. I mean, you know, what an amazing person she is. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, watch it with Scarlett because we watched it with our kids. Yeah. And um, they're very excited that she she um, accepted to come on the show. Uh, we've had to push it due to they had some travel arrangements. So, um, But Lauren's very excited to get in the opportunity to talk to her but I did not know the story at all you know I, I don't follow surfing and I just completely missed it and I watched the um the documentary it's like my god what a person yeah she's <laughs> unbelievable and she's so lovely and friendly uh, and she's a massive bitcoiner so you know that's amazing to have her part of this yeah absolutely all right mate let's talk I want to do the Indy 500 first, and then we'll talk about your um, your presidential meeting because yeah. that's probably going to be the <laughs> cherry on the cake. But Indy 500, I mean, I listened again to your your episode with Jack and and how that story unfolded. But for those people that might not have caught that, do you just want to give a quick backstory as to to how that kind of was put in place, and then we'll talk about like you know going to the race itself. Yeah. So I mean, uh, the Indy 500 is one of those things that everyone's heard of. But you might know, you might not know its significance of what it is. So I'd heard of the Indy 500, but motor racing to me is Formula One, right? So I'm like, is it like Formula One? And it's like, well, it's kind of like Formula One, but but they uh, they just go round and round and round in circles. I'm like, okay, so is that like kind of like the NASCAR? Well, it's kind of like the NASCAR, but they're in cars similar to Formula One cars. I was like, oh, okay. And then yeah, but sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes they do race the normal track. So I was like, okay, trying to get my head around it. But anyway, when I got there, Jack was like, oh, we've got this other thing going on where uh, Ed Carpenter Racing have got, you know, three cars and 
you know, one of the cars, they, you know, he, he basically has got a guy, I th- it's either on his team or one of his friends said, listen, why don't you just reach out to the Bitcoin community, try and do something with Bitcoiners because, you know, they, 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 they you know, getting sponsorships a pain, you know, especially at a time like now during Corona, he said, just reach out to the Bitcoiners. Let's just give them, just give them the car wrap for the race. So they reached out to Jack. I mean, I might get some of the details wrong. Jack would be better telling the story, but Jack was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Yeah, let's, put, let's get Bitcoin out there. Let's get Bitcoin in front of all these people. Jack designed the car, which looked looked great. Let's be honest, it looked cool. Yeah, it looked like like if I had designed it, it just wouldn't have. But yeah, Jack's Jack Jack do what he's doing there. So he designed the car, and then he said, "Oh yeah, Pete, as part of this, uh, we're gonna get yeah. When I got to El Salvador, we're gonna get to go to the Indy Five Hundred. I was like, brilliant. Thanks, mate. So I was very excited about that. Um, but yeah, so they did a deal whereby uh, something like the first amount of money to cover the costs would go to the team, and then anything over over that that was raised would go seventy percent to uh, open source dev and thirty percent to the team. And it was just like a really cool thing to happen. And and Jack was like, "Yeah, we want to make this part of the film. Do you want to come along?" I was like, "Of course, I want to come along." And mate, honestly, I'm you know, like I'm I'm from a my my parents were working class, right? My dad was an aircraft engineer. My mum was a nurse. Um, they they worked hard to give us everything they could. Like education was really important to my dad. So he wanted us to go to a, to a private school. But I wasn't like a rich kid in a private school. My dad was a shift worker at the airport. 12 hours on. No, so four days on, four days off. 12 hour shifts, right? So he would leave it six in the morning, get back at eight at night because he worked at Luton Airport. Uh, and Or he would do the night, so it would be four days on, four days off, four nights on. Because, it's, yeah, it's aircraft. And there's nothing stopped. Aircraft fly all the time. So the night shift would be leaving at six in the evening, come back at seven in the morning, and then sleeping all day. And it was a tough job for him to do. Yeah, Until he rose up into management, the majority of my childhood remember him doing that. But his salary alone wasn't enough to pay the school fees. So any overtime he had to take, right? So whilst there's four days off, any overtime, he would just take it. So he could do seven days on one day off. seven, And then he used to occasionally do a thing called the ghost shift, where it was like 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. But he, all he wanted was us to have best education. So we did it. And very, very lucky to have that. Uh, but, you know, he made a lot of sacrifices like that. You know, he never had a nice car that he wanted. You know, he we had a we'd have a holiday each year, but that's because we got free flights, right? And and we'd stay in one of his mates' villas. Uh, when when I'd go to school after Christmas, and this is no discredit to my dad, but like, you know, all these I was surrounded by rich kids, and and we weren't, and that's fine. I, I had a, I had a, an amazing childhood, but like, I'm from fucking Bedford, uh, from a you know working class parents, uh, and. I didn't. You don't expect to be in a position where you're being invited to fly on a helicopter to go to a Indy 500 race, and it's really humbling. And it's, I feel like so lucky that these things keep coming up. So when Jack was like, "Do you want to come?" I was like, "Yeah, of course I want to come." And I was like, "I was, I was just like, I don't know, just like an excited kid getting to see it all." So it was. I feel really lucky, mate, that these opportunities are uh, coming up. I've gone completely off t- tangent here. Sorry, mate. 
No, that's fine, mate. That's fine. So you you land in the um, what do you land like? Just right straight down in the center well, of the paddock, or like what, so. This is the... a funny story because I fucking hate helicopters, right? I don't like flying at the best of time. I've just this is a funny story about my dad, right? So he's an aircraft engineer. I love telling these people when I get on a plane. My dad's an aircraft engineer. You know, worked for Monarch Airlines for thirty five years. He won't fly. <laughs> yeah so i love the i love getting on a plane with somebody saying oh yeah by the way uh my dad doesn't fly and he's an aircraft engineer they're like why 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 does your dad not? like the thing was is the, the truth of it is is like my dad's quite um and he's the opposite of me he's quite introverted and shy generally and uh like keep to himself and yeah he he's risk averse uh and what happened was being an engineer and working for the airline, whenever you're on a plane, sometimes you can sit in the cockpit. I don't know if you remember the old days. Did you ever, like, as a kid, get to sit in a cockpit? Not sit in it, but... Go um, visit it. Visit it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once, um, never when it was in the air, only um, only on the, you know, once it had landed. Right. So some people might not even know this. Like, my kids certainly don't. But in the olden days, right, you used to be able to go visit the cockpit mid, mid-flight. Um yeah, you know, they'll just do it for kids and so whatever. Because my dad worked for the airline, we used to get to do this cool thing whereby, like, me, and my brother, and sister used to get to take turns to sit in the cockpit for landings and takeoffs. As mad as that sounds, no you way. could not imagine that right now. So I, I think I got to do it like once or twice. I definitely remember sitting in for a landing, uh, and it was wild, right? Because so, used to have um, the uh, used to have the I think it was the pilot, co-pilot. And the engineer, because they used to have three. They used to fly with three. And they ended up getting rid of the engineer because everything's automated. But they also used to have a seat behind the pilot. So you sit in that strap down for a landing, which was which was cool. And my dad, when he used to fly, he had to fly quite regularly for work, he would always sit in the cockpit. Um, and he was in a flight where a plane kind of dropped in the sky, hit an air pocket or whatever, dropped a 1,000 feet or some bullshit. And, and it really shit him up. And after that point, he didn't like flying. He flew a couple of times. And uh, the last time he flew was something like it's my cousin's wedding in, it's like, we're talking like 15 years ago. And bear in mind, he got free flights. Him and my mum for life, free flights, could travel the world. No, I'm not getting on a plane. So, so, but us as kids, we knew my dad was scared of flying. I think that kind of fed into us. Because me and my brother hate flying. I hate flying. I fucking hate flying. Because I, I, what I think, when I'm in a plane, pretty much all flight, I'm like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Like the whole flight, right? <laughs> I actually have this thing where I get on the Wi-Fi now. Me and Stacey Herbert, we're all, when we're on planes and there's turbulence, we text each other. God, I've got, I always spend a long time explaining fucking stories. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I, I was intrigued by helicopters. I'd never been in one. And then... Uh, I don't know if you know Uber. Do the Uber Copter in New York? So you land at JFK and you can book an Uber helicopter, and that can, you know, because it's like a bullshit two two hour drive from JFK into the island. You can get the Uber Copter to the south of the island. I was like, I'm going to try that. That's cool. And um, I think it was Will Reeves said he would pay pay for it as long as I tweet about Fold. Is that Will Reeves? Will Reeves is Fold, isn't he? So I was I always mix him and Will Cole up. So I got in it, and as soon as it went up, I was like, no, I fucking hate this. <laughs> like, the whole time, I was like, I hate this. I want to get off, uh, and I hated it. So I was like, I'm never, ever, ever getting in a helicopter ever again. Fuck that. Uh, and so I've, I never have. Anyway, we get to the get to Indianapolis, go out for dinner, 
and Jack's like, oh, by the way, we're getting a helicopter into the track tomorrow. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what? What do you mean we got a helicopter? He's like, well, taxi takes forever because there's like 150,000 people trying to get to the track. Normally it'd be 500,000. He's like, we're getting a helicopter. I was like, fuck. It's literally, literally all evening. I was like, shit in my son because I'm thinking, I, I can't do this. I'm going to have to tell him. I'll, I'll, I'll find my own way there. And then and I was like, who's in the helicopter? He's like, oh, it's going to be you, me, Dylan, Jessica Vaughan, and Russo Kung. I was like, oh, how can I turn this down? How can I turn down the opportunity? Like, what a blessing. So how, how can I turn down this opportunity to do this? I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. And it was like a four-minute flight, but the whole four minutes, because you fly up and over everything, and I, like, the whole four minutes, I was like, just please get me off this fucking thing. <laughs> I hate this shit. So anyway, it came. it drops you down just at the side, just outside the track, just at the side. And then, like, you just get a golf cart taken into the track. Honestly, the whole thing, when you think about it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's crazy, mate. Did you get to, like, um, get behind in the garages and all of that, Put mate, we watching them put the car together? And... No, the car was already together on the track, but we got to go into the garage, meet the driver, who was so funny, such a nice guy. Meet Ed, we got sitting there, like, bus. We got to go down to the track, stand on the track. And uh, that was so funny. So the... Uh, the car qualified in third, and I think the second maybe car was a PNC bank sponsored one. So we got well, I would say we were up there and looking at, it. and then Russo Cugs like shouting at the driver, is like, "I'll give you a Bitcoin to dump the bank. Come on, man! I'll give you a, like like proper <laughs> heckling him." But it's like you know when you watch like the F1, you see people walking around the track, you think, "Oh wow, that's they're so lucky." And we were getting to do that. And I was like, "Well, it's just too surreal, man." It was just. I was going to say, when you're there, it probably doesn't feel as glitzy and glamorous as it looks to us when we're watching. It no, on the it does. You know? Honestly, yeah, for me, yeah, I like I've I've got to do so many lucky things with this job, um, and it and I'm always like really aware of that, and should always try and be grateful for these things when they come up because this this can end at any point, right? You know. You you can your career can take a nosedive at any point. So I'm always really conscious just to like take all these moments in and like be as grateful as I possibly can for for the opportunity because because it might never end. It, it, sorry, it might end at some point. And because uh, it's kind of funny, my brother, my brother's so funny. Like he he's uh, such a great guy, and he's always phoning me uh, just to catch up. And but he phones me at times. He's like, "Oh, Pete, where are you?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm at Indy 500." He's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just on the track looking at the car. Like, I'm, he, I always get to tell him stuff like this. He's like, fucking hell. Like, it's, it's got so funny, these stories with him. Like, I just make stuff up now to see what I can get away with. Right. It's, you know, things like, I might, I don't know, what was the one I did when I was away? I can't remember. It was just some stupid story. Like, oh, yeah. Well, you wouldn't need to make anything up no, over the last six weeks. No, no, but sometimes, like, he might, like, I'll give you an example. He, he might be like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, I'll, I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm having dinner with Dr. Dre tonight. I'm in New York. And like, he now believes these stories because there's so many things that happen. He's like, really? I'm like, no, nah, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't ever, <clears throat> it's, it, it all feels glitzy to me because I come back here to fucking Bedford, mate. <laughs> like with my feet, like off the ground thinking I'm the bollocks. Because I've had this time, and I get back, and it's like smack bang reality. The kids are yelling at me, going down to Tesco's to get tea bags, and, and uh, <laughs> just back in normal life. So, uh, yeah. 
so once you guys once you're trackside and and renus renus took the lead on about lap three or four if i remember rightly uh, maybe, I, I watched yeah. every lap maybe were you guys going crazy Dude. as soon as he took the lead that must have been amazing so the way it works we got to go in the pagoda which is right in the middle of the track and you've got a 360 degree view of the track but you the pagoda is by the race line so you can stay inside or go outside and but but when you go and watch from the back, the cars are quite a bit away from you. So you get prepped around pretty fucking quick. And I can't remember. It was like lap two, three or whatever. You know. And I didn't see the overtake. I just saw him come around in the lead. And we all realized. And we all jumped around going, whoa. And honestly, for half the race, we thought he was going to win. Half the race, it was because he, he was either in the lead or he was kind of in that pseudo in the lead where you've pitted but you know the subsequent drivers have to pit so you'll still come out front or he was number two behind his guy and it's like shit he might win this like wow and the only thing about the indy 500 what becomes very clear is you've got to keep going because luck can change the race like with f1 pretty much the driver who should win wins and you can even have a disaster on the first lap you know stall and be at the back of the track and you can somehow find your way back to the front like that tends to happen not in the indy 500 because it's not because it's not a uh, the race circuit it's like the the oval it's not like the track circuit so that's once you're once you're gone you're gone uh and what happened is basically some guy pitted one of the pit crew didn't properly attach a back wheel guy comes out crashes the wheel bounces down the track yellow flags the race that wheel bounces, kind of hits one of Ed Carpenter's other cars, changes the whole dynamic of the race. You know, and when the guy won, like, big congratulations to him for winning, but at the same time, I was like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a race based on a lot of luck. You have to do your best to make sure you're in contention if luck goes your way. But that, that, if, that, if that wheel is attached properly, the guy who won the race doesn't win. Which is, you know, it's pretty much fact, but the, the yellow flag changed the whole race. So, so, so yeah. Anyway, it, it, once once that so ended on a bit of a downer. Yeah, no. Or... I mean, look. I mean, Ed had a, a stall in the thing, and that put him back, and he ended up getting back to sixth. But I was chatting to his sister, and she was saying, "All that matters is the win." And she said, "The worst year, the worst year of all, was the one where he came second. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no prize for second in this. It's no one no one cares about second place in F1. It's kind of like seconds cool, Thursday. You're on the podium, and sometimes somebody gets up on the podium who hasn't been up for like a while in one of the you know other cars. No one cares. It's all about who wins. They said the year he came second, he was like in the lead with three to go, and you know, uh, Ed is Ed is such a great guy. He's really awesome. I, I, I hope he wins at one year. I think he will. I think if he doesn't, one of his cars, like his team will. Uh, but yes, and I mean, so this other guy won who was like 46, I think. I couldn't believe the ages of these no. guys. Like one, one Pablo Montoya was, was like racing around. Dude, we, I we, mean, Ed, Ed himself's in his 40s, right? You, yeah, you we've still got a chance. Yeah. Still got a ch- <laughs> God, you've got to have some balls to drive those cars. It was, it, it was funny at the end of that. We were, really, we were all really flat. I think if if we'd have won, we'd have gone out and got drunker than we've ever got. 
I went back to my hotel room and I'm normally like a five to six hours of sleep a night guy, sometimes seven or eight, but yeah, you know, not that much. I went back to hotel room. I slept for 16 hours, which is unfucking heard of. Got back to my room about six. I mean, I woke up a couple of times, right? Like I fell asleep straight away and I woke up about like 10. Like, oh, what's going on? And then back to sleep. But I, yeah, I slept from six through to like 10 the next day or something. It's ridiculous. I don't know whatever it is, but what's that? Six to yeah, sixteen hours, yeah, and just beat. And I, to be honest, I needed that because then I had to fly to Miami. Miami, so right the conference, yeah, the conference, the conference. Oh, I for, I mean, come on, like meeting all the plebs. Uh, <laughs> get, what 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 was going down? Was it uh, just like the what was the feel? Was that like everybody being locked up for so long, well, and unable to see each other? And yeah, it's just it's tw- it's Twitter without the arguments. Everyone's just cool. Everyone's nice. Everyone's like, hello. Uh, met some people I've never met before, which was really cool. Uh, the conference itself was so well put together. Uh, there was this moment, because I was emceeing the first day, whereby Sailor and Max Kaiser would come on. And basically, it was standing room only, all down the sides, all down the middle. It, it, you couldn't believe how packed it was. It was funny, that fucking moron, Vlad Kostia, whatever his name is, he he tried to he tried to basically shame me so he he's watching on the live stream ends up tweeting it like you know something about me trying to get the crowd going and being flat what the, what the fucking idiot doesn't realize there's no mics on the crowd right so the only mics are on the stage so if you're watching they've actually fucked that up i'm going to tell them next year to change that because the room was packed right and the atmosphere is great but you didn't get to feel that atmosphere online online you know that room was so loud. Everyone was like roaring and cheering, and uh, but what happened was it was so packed. Everyone was in such good mood, but but the fire safety guy was there and saying you can't do this. There's you can't have people stood up in the the gangways and the sides and the back because if there's a fire, no one can get out. And he's and and so we had I can't remember who was on before them. I can't remember if it was Dorsey or whoever was on before Sailor and Kaiser, but. Anyway, the, the fire guy was like, I'm going to close it down. I was like, you've got Michael Saylor and Max Kaiser about to come on, and you're basically going to close us down if 2,000 people don't leave the room. So I basically, I did a compromise. I said, I'll do your, do your deal. Let Give me the next talk. It's 45 minutes, and then I'll get every, I'll make sure it happens. So anyway, uh, Michael Saylor turns up in a black suit. Max Kaiser's in a white suit, which looked awesome. And so I introduced, like, I went outside to introduce them, and I was like, like, kind of like hyping them up, and everyone's on their feet and cheering. And then Max comes out screaming, I'm not selling, I'm not selling. The whole room is like a light. Like, everyone stood up cheering and jumping. And, and you just didn't get that atmosphere for online, which was, just, which was a shame, but it was incredible. Yeah. It was such a good few days. Uh, met so many people like so many you could I tell you how you could tell the difference this one the last one because the last one had like two thousand people this was like twelve thousand um you had a lot of you had actual famous people who wanted to be there like floyd mayweather turned up with his entourage which is fucking hilarious uh logan paul turns up but you have people like the winklevoss who are like kind of stars in their own right <laughs> tony hawk turns up with one guy and is doing skate skateboarding tricks backstage like it, it it just it feels like bitcoin had crossed into the mainstream i mean 
Mayweather, fucking Mayweather turns up, right? He's, they, they said he's going to do an interview on stage. He turns up, his entourage. They all wear, turn up wearing ETH Maxi t-shirts. I'm like, what <sighs> the fuck are you doing? He basically agreed to go on stage, talk about Bitcoin, say he's going to take his like uh, fight fee in Bitcoin, right? Turns up in an ETH Maxi shirt, goes on, basically, uh, actually, I won't name him by name, but somebody was on the BTC team, just in case he doesn't want this, said, if he doesn't get that shirt off, he's not going on stage. I don't give a fuck. And he was late as well. He turned up late. And you couldn't, honestly, his entourage was hilarious. So there's like 50, 60 guys all walk in. He's mad. And he's in the middle of them. And these guys are fucking huge. Some of these guys are like mountained, like six foot eight and ripped. Anyway, he went and told him he can't put that shirt on. So, and then he goes on stage and says, look, I like Bitcoin, but, you know, said something about like, something else is going to take over it like that's typical bullshit and the crowd boos him it was dumb really but like yeah it was really again another really overwhelming event uh then he then he shielded his nft didn't he yeah, I mean, just it was the most cringe interview yeah. i watched it on live on on youtube and uh, you're right actually about like the, the interaction from the crowd you could hear a little bit of booing and you could hear a little bit of cheering when max came on and but but not much not like you're describing now no it was it was it was loud it was loud in there but you know it's funny anyway you know you, it's, it was like a pantomime he was like the the villain and you know tony hawks like the good guy and, and it's just the whole thing was wild it, it was so well put together uh so many am, like amazing parties and dinners and yeah just meeting you know seeing everyone you haven't seen for ages or meeting new people uh was was incredible again just massively overwhelming um uh massively overwhelming on a personal level it was just yeah it's just like Look where look where we are now. This has gone from two two thousand people two years ago to twelve thousand. What's it going to be next year? Twenty five thousand, fifty thousand. Yeah. Is it going to be like exactly? What's, I don't know what that massive conference in Vegas is, the electronics one. But is it going to be like that? Feels like it. South by Southwest is that's, that the that's uh, the, the one, one in Austin, right? If the one in Austin, mate, you know, move over Burning Man, like you know, Let's go to the <laughs> desert, brother. Let's go to the desert and take yeah. acid. Talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> that is amazing, man. Listen, you got to be there next. So, year. yeah, we we definitely will be. And for for Jack's talk, like that was, um, I you know I was lucky enough to to be in a position to to catch that one live on YouTube. Uh, where were you for for that? Were you so uh, I walked, backstage? No, no, I walked center? out front and took a seat and watched it. Uh, uh, he just put so much pressure on himself. Uh, Jack's an emotional guy, you know. I don't have to pretend that I've spent five weeks, six weeks filming with him and that's going to make the film. He puts a lot of pressure on himself, but he's competitive as fuck and he wants to win. He's an emotional guy. And I just think, I, th I think a lot of stuff built up and he got to that moment. He did it and it was, it was very emotional for him. And, you know, he told me he was going to make sure this happened and it happened. So all I can say is fair play to him on that. Uh, I know his dad and his stepmom Brooke kind of well, so it was good to see them as well. It was an, it was an, it was an emotional. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, embarrass John Vallis here, right? So you know John Vallis, he's such yeah. a great guy. He gives me a lot of shit on Twitter, but he, stuff that I reflect on, I think he's right. I met him for the first time, and he's so cool. Like he's like 
he's really he's tall good looking and cool like he's the full package he's just a really top bloke uh and uh and i caught him and he was like he had like a tear in his eye like he was brought to tears and i was like if you could bring john vallis to tears you've you've nailed it don't worry john give me a hug mate we got this it was uh it was very very emotional and um it's i managed to even sit my whole family through it and said to them look you know you i know you hate i go on about bitcoin the whole time but watch this kid this kid's 27 look not at a kid what man happens yeah he's not a kid know, he yeah. keeps calling himself a kid he's not a kid he's a, like if you're running a if you're running a company of that size and you're going to help a country uh uh become uh make bitcoin legal tender and you're going to help write the bill you're not a fucking kid i keep telling him that he calls himself i'm like you're not a kid man you're not a kid. The the other the other uh, <laughs> just because we're old, but the other uh, the other um, presentation that I got uh, I managed to get the kids and, uh, and my wife to watch was uh, the recording of, of Ross from uh, from prison, and that really stuck in my two youngest's uh, heads. Like that really affected yeah. them, and uh, they they were asking me questions about it. It's like you know why is he in prison? Why does uh, so. Yeah, I've had that. Com- that was, uh... I've had that complicated conversation with my kids because they, they, especially my son, like he. How did you explain it to your kids? It's completely unjust. Yeah, like the the system's broken, the money's broken, everything's broken. You you can't do this to people. You know that there's um there, there's what what more is there to say? That there's nothing to explain. This is a a complete. Um, you know, did he do something wrong? Maybe. If he did, he should have been tried for that, and he should have gone to prison for that. But like, for for what he's been given, like you know, it is ridiculous. There are people that have murdered people that are going to serve less time. You know, it just like yeah. this is not a correct society. Yeah, I I first interviewed Lynn, his mother, about three and a half years ago. She was like my tenth interview in Austin, as actually as well. And you know, and I, I I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and listen. I'm pretty sure I said asked at the time, you know. However, whatever you think of the drug laws, there are laws, and if you if you break the law, you know there's a consequence, and yada yada. I probably early on in my career, I probably wasn't as articulate, but I was like, like, do you think he deserved to go to jail? Do you think he deserved a sentence? She's like, time served. That's enough now. You know, time served. I think he's been in there. Was he? Is he been in there ten years yet, or six years? Well, if he if he accepted the plea, I think the plea was ten years. He'd probably be out now. The, the way I explained it to my kids, I was like, you know, society has drugs in it, and the drugs are a spectrum that includes those which doctors can prescribe to you, those which are legal, and those which are illegal. And the line is always moving. Once upon a time, marijuana was illegal. Now, in large parts of America, it's legal or decriminalized. Uh, I explained to them about Nanny when my mum was sick with the drug we wanted to give her. I talked her through that, but I said, most importantly, prohibition has a consequence. And what prohibition always does, it doesn't stop people taking drugs, but it creates this vast network of less, usually less than. kind of more kind of criminal organizations cartels etc uh and ross created a website for freedom 
reality is a website mainly to buy and sell drugs. Um, but the really interesting thing, my friend Jake Hammerhand did a report on one of, I think it's a company, when he was advised for a company in, I'm calling it a company based out in Morocco. You know, they basically became a professional organization that shipped drugs. And if you go and read the reports from the Drug Policy Alliance, they said the Silk Road removed violence from the streets and reduced harm because you were no longer having to go and meet somebody. Do you know what? I've just realized there's a real kind of compar comparable with this between this and what Strike's doing. Strike with remittance stops you having to potentially go to an unsafe situation to collect your money. You know, leave your house, get a bus, go to, you know, uh, MoneyGram or whatever those places are called and pick up your money at risk of being, you know, uh, mugged or, you know, beaten up for your money. Strike stops you doing that. You can be sat in your front room. Using technology can be sent to your phone. Same with drugs. Rather than going waiting outside of Tesco's or a Sainsbury's, hoping some guy would turn up, you know, potentially being in a dangerous situation, it's delivered to your house. You know? And also, I used the Silk Road at a time when I was, my drug, drug problem became a, an actual problem. And there were forums. Like I was really worried about you know, some reactions I was having and I was going on the forums and reading about it and getting advice. Uh, so, so he created something that made the system work better, but in contra, you know, contravention of the law. And now he's in jail for the rest of his life. And, you know, I've exchanged letters with him. Um, I've got to know Lynn and I think it was Novo who said it, uh, no good is being served to society by keeping him locked up for the rest of his life. So listening to his, it was, that was that was the most emotional part of the event for me, listening to that. I was sat with Lynn, and that was just, uh, David Bailey's mum was behind us, um, bawling. She was such a sweetie. Uh, it was, that was, that's to me was really emotional. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, mate. All right, let's uh, let's move it on. You back to El Salvador, and you got to go and meet the president yeah. of a country that's just taken, just dropped this huge news, which everybody's still at that point trying to even comprehend because it was just you know so out of left field. You know, like Jack said at the beginning of his talk, right? You guys ready for this? No fucking way, you guys are ready for this, and nobody was like, "What?" I was. No way. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you were. I was. Uh, but, uh, so after the Twitter Spaces thing that Nick Carter did, I was like in my head, just my competitive, want to be the, you know, be the guy. Uh, I'm in New York with uh, Jamie, this girl I'd met in Miami, and. And I was like, said to her, I think we should go to El Salvador. Uh, I think we should go and try and get this interview. Um, so I reached out to the brother on Twitter and he replied back a loose message. I was like, oh, that's not enough. It's like, look, here's my number. I want to interview the president. Let me know. And then he gave me his number. So I was like, right, great. Text. Can we have a call? Yeah, we can have a call. Maybe tomorrow. I'm like, next day, can we speak? So I got on the phone with him. I was like, listen, let me just pitch it to you. Uh, I'm not a mainstream journalist, but I've been to El Salvador four times. I think I was the first to come out and report on Bitcoin Beach. I know the story. 
I'm in New York. I'm three hours, four hours away. I can be there tomorrow. Can we do the interview? And he was like, uh, you're, he's like, you're a good salesman. Yeah. Okay. Like, let me get back to you. And then what was happening is like, I'd extended my trip, which had, you know, upset my kids and my ex-wife had stepped up to help with that. And, and then like two days before I meant to fly back to the UK, you know, I'm having this text conversation. I was like, I just have to let her know. I'm like, Claire, there's potential. Uh, I might not be back. I might have to extend again. She's like, when are you going to know? And I was like, I I said, basically, if, if I hear up until I've got on that plane, I'm, I'm changing. So I was like texting the brother saying, can we do this? And he said, and basically about four hours before I was meant to leave to go and get my plane home, he said, if you come, if you're here next week, 100% you'll get the interview. I just don't know what day. So I was like, great. Cancel my flight to the UK. Uh, and me and Jamie went and got uh, our COVID tests, booked a flight to El Salvador and, and went uh, went down to El Zonte and basically waited out, got a meeting. So when I had that first meeting with him and then uh, the interview was meant to be uh, on the Thursday and I was going to fly home on the Friday and the interview got moved to the Friday and I flew home the Saturday. Uh, yeah, it was wild, man. So was the first meeting with the president or with his brother or the pair of them? Uh, the president and two brothers. Yeah, Kareem and... Right, okay. Yeah. And that was just like, uh, like uh, hi, this is who I am, like just to try and feel each other out and make sure you were legit. No. Nothing was recorded in that first one? Well, I think the president thought we were going to do the interview on the first one, but I said, I can't. I need to meet you. You know, the, most people I interview, I've seen online, got a feel for them and I can do it. Plus, this one's way too important. Like, th I know this is the most important interview I've ever done. Uh, not just for me. Like, I knew I, I felt a duty to Bitcoiners and... I felt a duty to every other podcaster just to do the best job I could. Uh, you know what it's like. I mean, you, how many how many episodes have you done now? This will be one six eight. Okay, so you've done one hundred sixty eight. You know what it's like. You learn a lot about interviewing as you go. You get better. You think about it. But I imagine there's some you turn up. And you don't you don't need to pre prepare at all. You can just turn up and rock a conversation. And there's some you need to prepare, right? So that's my mine's the same. Yeah. But this one, I was like. I need to meet him, get a feel for him, telling him about the things I want to talk. Like, for example, I wanted to talk about one-term presidencies, but I didn't want to just land that on him or the IMF. So I, I, I wanted to meet him and just say, look, these are all the topics I want to talk about. What do you think? And he was like, you ask anything you want. You have to. You don't ask me that. People aren't going to respect you as a journalist. Uh, being sat with the three of them was really kind of overwhelming as well because they – they're really funny with each other there's a lot of banter a lot of kind of like winding each other up like they're they're winding me up at some time keep taking the piss out of me and uh but also articulate great thinkers and very clearly all in on bitcoin so yeah we uh had that meeting and then i went uh back to el zonte and spent nearly three, four days preparing for an interview, which I don't normally do. Like the most I normally prepare is like at the very most is a day. And usually it's like half a day, sometimes a couple of hours, very occasionally half an hour before we start, right? That mix of things. But this one, I was like, got to get this one right. Got to absolutely nail this. Nerves when you turned up? <laughs> Fucking nerves, mate, honestly. <laughs> 
And this was it recorded? Was it recorded camera as well? Would it be part of the documentary, or was this just for the pod? Just like, for the pod. That's not the just yeah. for the pod, right? Okay. I mean, I might put include some of it in it. So there's two meetings, right? So the first meeting, there's been a lot of talk about what I chose to wear. Okay. Right. So what happened was when I got to New York, I was like out of clothes. So I end up going to whatever is it Bloomingdale's, and all I wear is black or white All Saints t-shirts pretty much all the time. I travel with like ten each of those, and like three rock shirts. Uh, So when I'm when I tend to like meet people or do things, I'm basically usually black jeans and white t-shirt, black jeans, and like I just keep it simple. And then when I want to chill out whatever i'll have like a metallica shirt on or whatever so i get to new york and i'm out of everything so i have to get an uber up to uh bloomingdale's and i basically buy two more uh black t-shirts and a white t-shirt from their all saints department and and then i go and get some pants and socks like what america for americans underwear and socks and I i have enough to get me to my flight home and then fly to El Zonte. And then the El Zonte thing turns up. So fly there. And I'm meeting the president the next day. And I've got no clean clothes. And I'm trying to get my laundry done. And I'm thinking, well, what the fuck am I going to wear? I'm, I haven't got any smart clothes. So I text the brother. And I was like, is there a dress code for meeting the president? He's like, no, wear, wear whatever you want. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. It's like, he doesn't care. Just wear whatever you want. I was like, and the only thing clean I had... I had a Metallica shirt and a Motley Crue shirt. That was it. That's all I had clean. So I was like, uh, what about a Metallica t-shirt? And he's like, sure, doesn't matter. I was like, right, fuck it. I ended up getting my my, my laundry was done just in time if I wanted to change. But I was like, fuck it. If he's cool with that. I'm going to wear it. And also, I just I knew the photo would be funny, right? Of course. I knew the optics of it. Um, so, yeah, so we go up. So I get there in time for like 15 minutes early uh, and but he ends up running an hour late and I'm so nervous mate honestly I'm literally inside I'm like bricking it I five times in that hour had to go for a piss I'd go and as soon as I'm done I sat back down immediately I'm like I need another piss I need another piss I need another piss. <laughs> can't go again so just back and forth all the people there must think who is this moron who keeps going to the toilet uh so there was that and then as soon as i met him he was really cool he, he made me feel at ease the interview was really different so so I t- as i said i had this girl who ended up i met in miami just ended up traveling with me she's amazing uh, her name's jamie it's the kind of thing you probably shouldn't talk about publicly because if it becomes if it, if it collapses like all the trolls are like ah but but she was amazing she um she she came into my world in Miami at just the right time because my back was fucked and I wasn't looking after myself and we just hung out and got on and she ended up just like looking after me like making sure I ate right drunk right so by the time we got to El Salvador while I was focusing on getting everything ready she was just she just did it she just got everything done just it was like wow this is amazing like I'd be hungry she'd go and sort out the food you know she'd come to me and say you haven't had enough water to drink like look after yourself you need to be fit and healthy uh and on the morning of the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> on the morning of the interview i've had this back issue that's been going on for about a year and i had an epidural in miami but 
I've been kind of coping with it. On the morning of the interview, I go up to get a coffee and I go to sit down in this chair and I'm like, I can't fucking sit down. <laughs> like shooting pains all down my leg, like the worst sciatica ever. And I'm like, I'm like I've been coping with it. I, I physically could not sit down because it was like someone was poking a hot iron into my leg. I was like, oh, this is a problem. <laughs> so I uh, I text Michael Peterson and I'm like, Mike, uh, have you got any drugs? Because I've got bad back pain. So he turns up with a plethora of drugs. I ended up taking a cocktail of three, which is, I'd already taken Nurofen. I ended up taking a Tramadol and this muscle relaxant. And within like 30 minutes, I can kind of sit down with an hour. It's gone. I'm like, okay, we've got this. So Jamie and I get in the taxi to go to San Salvador. And by, by the by, then the drugs are worn off. So I have to fly on the back seat because I can't sit down. Yeah, it's that bad. Okay, yeah, so I had no to way. I had to lie down. I can't, and I'm hobbling. I can't, can't touch my bags at all. I can't pull my bags. We get to San Salvador. They all get taken in up to our room and I'm, I'm feeling like a little bit sorry for myself i'm like this is fucking bollocks man important interview of my career and i can't fucking sit down anyway get shower we get ready and uh get all my questions like final run through of my questions pop the drugs get in the taxi to to there and by the time i get there the drugs have kicked in uh and the president's close to the time we agreed um and there was one benefit to the the leg thing because i know normally i would have been really nervous and like holding my papers and shaking right by the time i sat down uh i was so focused on my back that i wasn't nervous in turn like that and if you look at the, the the film i look slouched in the chair that's the only position i could get in where i could manage the pain because even though you're on drugs there's still pain it's trying to sit upright because the problem is is basically with your back, it's when I sit and it bends that the disc is protruding, on, protruding onto the nerves. So if I sit upright, mm -hmm. I'm a perfect right angle, right? So I had to slouch mm -hmm. a bit to give a bit of ease into the back. So I look really slouched and casual, right? That's the only way I could cope with it. Um, uh, yeah, but I was kind of, I was then kind of fine uh, until about 40 minutes in where I started to feel queasy. I was just, oh, shit. yeah, I was like, whew, I'm feeling a bit, bit queasy here, <laughs> thinking, shit, probably need some water. And then I was like, my mind started playing tricks on me. It's like, just so, like, my mind said to me, just so you know, Pete, if you suddenly vomit right now on camera on the presidential rug in front of the president, you're done. Like, this is, that's your whole career we defined like this. So there's a little thing in my mind going, puke puke go on puke <laughs> it is it's like saying go on puke i dare you dare you and i'm like fuck's sake <laughs> why is this happening so anyway i ended up i ended up going uh oh, can i just have a five minute break and they're like yeah sure so i went to the bathroom just like uh had a also had a drink and calmed down and then, and then finished it off but i think just damn it i think it was just like the whole thing's so overwhelming right because like part of it i'm i'm before he turns up i'm wandering around in this room there's, it's not like any interview I've done before. There's like 25, 30 people in the room. His staff, my crew, other random people. Like, there's a big films. Like, it's all set up like a big set. 
like it's wild. It's not like normally where I'm like in a hotel room with a camera guy. This this is like a proper production. And I'm just like wandering around going, fucking hell, man. <laughs> I started this podcast as a like for a laugh four years ago, and now I'm about to sit down with the president. And it was really overwhelming. Like I right now, like even talking about it, I almost feel a bit emotional about it. Uh so I'm I tend to do this in a ramble, but like you remember, like my life collapsed a few years back. Like got divorced, my company collapsed, my mum died uh i had to uh get clean off drugs because i was you know in a bad way with drugs and i was nearly broke like everything was shit and i was suffering with crippling anxiety like the worst anxiety and panic attacks i used to have these things called svts like everything was shit completely shit and i didn't know what i was going to do with my life i couldn't work in advertising anymore i was done like, I, I was fucked. I was basically fucked. And just by a chance trip I took to Italy, I ended up meeting a podcaster and thinking, I'm going to do that. And then four years later, I'm, you know, interviewing. Like, it, it's it's really overwhelm, like overwhelming to think about. Four years later, I'm there doing that. Yes. It's really hard to make sense of it all. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy that um, a bunch of plebs that, for whatever reason, have been led to Bitcoin early enough to to, to be in a position that you've put yourself in. Uh, and I know John's had uh, politicians, Canadian politicians, on his show as well. It, it's it's nuts. It doesn't make it, sense. It's absolutely crazy. It doesn't make sense. And this is just. The, this is just the beginning, though, know. Pete. Like you know, this this is. It doesn't make sense, mate. Honestly, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something really kind of like cliche and obvious, but like, I'm really sad my my mum hasn't got to see this because she was my biggest fan. Like she was really supportive. My dad's a warrior, right? When she was, um, he told me this recently, but basically, when she was dying, she was uh, probably within the last couple of months before she died. So she was at that point where she was in hospital. She was very frail. And, um... Whew. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> she was very frail. And, um, she... She was talking to my dad. And my dad was, like, saying to her, uh... Like, I, I really worry about Pete. I really worry about him. And she was... She said to him, she's like... Pete's the one you don't need to worry about. You need to worry about Neil and Lorraine. Pete, Pete will be fine. Uh, and yeah, it's just. <sighs> it's been a, it's, yeah, it's been a big four years, mate. It's been fucking epic. Oh, mate. sorry. I didn't... Oh. You're good yeah so anyway big four years and i just it's really sad she didn't get to see this and, and i'll tell you why it'd be really sad it's not it's not because she'd been like amazed by it all she's the one who wouldn't have given a fuck in that in that <laughs> she she was never impressed by big things right she didn't care my dad is right my dad you just tell him this stuff and he's just like blown away but she wasn't she's she was never impressed by big stuff so she would you'd tell her she'd be like oh, oh cool so when can i see the grandkids 
she'd be like that. I'd be like, Mom, I've just interviewed a fucking president. Like, do you care how big a deal it is? She's like, yeah, but like, when can I see the grandkids? And uh, yeah, so sorry, mate. I didn't, I didn't, oh. I think I've been uh, hold, no. holding a few bits in. <laughs> You're all good, mate. You're all good. It's been, yeah, like, uh, you know, this whole six weeks unfolding in front of your eyes at light speed. Um, yeah, to, to come back and to, you know, start reflecting on it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's really hard to get your your head around it. It really is, and just trying to trying to not fuck it up. There's two two things that I'm like really conscious of right now is don't fuck this up. Just don't fuck this up. You you're in a really good position now. You you lost everything four years ago, five years ago, whenever it was. You're in a really good position now. Don't fuck it up, and don't turn into a massive twat. <laughs> And both <laughs> and both are really possible. Like you can eat like people I've sent like people want to counsel you and ruin you and like hate you and people want you to fuck up because they want to meme you into oblivion. Like this stuff with Ro- Robert Breedlove. Uh some people are really sad about it. Some people are just loving tearing into him and they want it. They they love destroying people and you can tell that and I- I'm so conscious of not fucking up. Uh, so that's one thing. And then it's very easy for your feet to lift off the ground. You know, you go to something like the Miami conference and like hundreds of people were coming up saying, love your show. Can I have a photo? I think you're amazing. And then you go into an Indy 500 or you interview in a president. Yeah. You know, there's so much good stuff happening. Like you'll like this one. Kevin Peterson gets in touch the other day. He's like, I want to know about Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, cool. So we end up doing a 40-minute Zoom. And that day, my daughter's playing cricket for the school. I was like, will you make her a video? Yeah, check this out. No way. Yeah, let me just show you a little bit. No of way. I don't know if he'll be pissed. For the American, for the American listeners, Kevin Peterson is a uh, an international cricket star. Um, huge England uh, cricket player from, uh, well, probably <laughs> 10 years ago now. Yeah. We've got to go back for, for his heyday. Hey, Like, so just no way. these kind of things are happening all the time, right? And I can see how, like, stuff like this lifts your feet off the ground. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I've done so well. I, I, I want people to know. And, and like, it's, re- it's really easy to start ending, to start acting like a massive twat. It's so easy. And I've done it. Like, I'm fully conscious. You don't mean to, you know, but, but it's really easy to do. And I'm like, Phew got to not be a twat like don't be a twat be stay like true to yourself you know and i've I've, like surrounded myself with people to to to, like to warn me like my producer i'm like you've got to tell me if i'm being a twat and ben my other producer you got to tell me if i'm being a twat and uh yeah, so they're the two things. I don't know why I'm waffling so gonna, much today. I'm just you're gonna have to get that quote. You're gonna have to get that quote framed, mate. Put it on your wall. Don't fuck it up and don't be a yeah, twat. Yeah, don't fuck it up. Get that. Get that. Don't be a twat. Honestly, it's <laughs> it's like re- I'm really conscious. And you know what? I'm so capable of both because I'm just a bit of a moron, right? Like I am. I am a bit of a like a, a moron who just doesn't think things through properly. Or so I'm capable of well capable of both. <laughs> well, mate. Look at, you know, well, not thinking things through properly, acting on your gut, you know, flying on the, um, 
seat of your pants. Look where it's got you. Yeah. And um, you know, thanks, thanks for you know putting your neck out and doing that because that interview with the president's going to go a long way. Um, a lot of people are going to hear that, and it's just such a. Uh, I was very impressed with how articulate he was. I was very impressed at his vision. Um, I was very impressed that, you know, he seemed to be saying all of the right things. So let's keep our fingers crossed. I mean, volcano mining could become a, uh, <laughs> a beautiful thing. I mean, what, how crazy is that? Yeah, man. Maybe, uh, see, this is one of those things where, like, it, this this could change everything. Mm-hmm. This This could be the catalyst for this something it, beautiful right? and incredible for the world uh it's so it's so important like this is the thing that stuck with me most in my meeting with the president at the end i was like you know before the interview i was like what can the bitcoin community do to help and he said he said this thing has to work he said like i've got 95 percent approval rating that can become three percent like this has to work this cannot fail we've got to make this work everyone just needs to chip in to help make this work and that's really on my mind. Uh, and you, you, if you watch the interview, you'll notice at the end, I say to him, like, I'm here to help the people of El Salvador how I can. Like, like if they call me up and want to do another interview, of course I'm going to do it. But I, I have no intention of being... Uh, my, my intention is just to support the El, people of El Salvador and just go back and help them with this and do everything I can. That's where I wanted to bring it. I wanted it to end there, actually, and um, get like a first-hand account of what it's like to... They're called papooses, is that right? Like, papooses, uh, yeah. yeah. What, what's it like to, to buy a papoosa from the lady on the street corner in with a lightning payment and like just see the look on her face and understand like on a deep level of what this is how this is going to change uh society i mean that yeah. must be amazing it's really hard to articulate because at the time all i'm thinking is like fucking give me my pupusa they are so good dude <laughs> what are they basically what? they're like it's like a piece of dough like a that's flattened out uh like a pancake but in the middle is like my favorite is the cheese and jalapeno but you can get meat you can get all kinds of fillings uh they're just amazing, man. Honestly, I, I like have to really limit myself when I'm there. I'll usually only go once in a week because once is a treat, twice is a is if I do it twice, I'm gonna do it every day and and get really fat. <laughs> but um it, the project in El Zonte, sometimes I think people when they get there, I, I think people have different reactions. Some some might be underwhelmed, go, oh, it's not as big as I thought of it. But I've seen it grow, like from what it was my first time, and it's it's more the, the little things that make sense to me. It's the fact that I turn up and I don't have any cash on me, and I get to El Zonte and I just use my Lightning wallet and buy, without thinking. Sometimes it's like, how do you want to pay? Uh, Bitcoin. There's no other places where you I naturally use Bitcoin. You know, it's it's you know, like if I get paid in Bitcoin for an invoice, I'm thinking about it, preparing the invoice right. This is just natural. Just turn up. Yeah, yeah. It's just as it's it's as natural as paying with your card. In some ways, more natural, because like I don't have to carry my card. But I'm always going to have a phone. I just yeah, I pay with Bitcoin. Boom, done. Like without even thinking. Uh, and that's that's really cool because as somebody who travels a lot, imagine everywhere you go that just be in the way. Don't need to carry any cash with you. Uh, yeah. So I mean, that's it. It is like the it's the the very early seed of hyper bitcoinization and it's beautiful to see 
you know, there's some people who really need a shout out, like Michael Peterson and Bitcoin Peach, Orhe and Chimbera, everything they've done, and anyone who works there, amazing. Like every person there who who decided to accept Bitcoin and, and learn it and have recently to go through their first massive price crash and like experience that and you know, Jack and his team and the president, his team, like anyone who else has supported it, the lightning team, we've been building, like building this shit for years, the core devs who've been working on Bitcoin since you know, 2000. And well, I don't know when they joined, Did they start helping in immediate in 2009. I don't know, but all those people who've like defended Bitcoin, who fought for Bitcoin, who've gone through the civil wars, people like John Carvalho, who'd like literally, was on the mailing list when the segwit nearly happened to go no this is basically he was saying this is bullshit to so many people to to like work to get it to this point we're all so lucky uh we're all so lucky that it's happened because it easily could have been destroyed at any moment like segwit 2x i now comprehend what that means like what happened uh uh shaolin fryer big shout out luke dasher big shout out like all these people basically defended bitcoin to get to where it is now like every single person who's contributed in one way or another yeah they all deserve a lot of credit uh, and it's a beautiful thing to see and it's very exciting to see where this goes next mate it certainly is and that's mate that's a perfect perfect way to to end the interview oh, thank um, you. but sorry i waffled on do... a lot in this one and then maybe that's me like starting mm. to be a bit of a twat i really waffled on you'd ask a simple <laughs> question i'd spend 20 minutes telling you the answer but that's the beauty of um, of the podcast yeah. and just letting people, um, you know, explore their thoughts um, rather than just, you know, the direct interaction, direct questions. But, mate, if people don't know yet where to find you, they can go where, fuck where themselves. they come and find Honestly. you? Honestly. <laughs> Do they not know who I am? <laughs> hey, honestly thank you so much you've been such a good friend ever since you first reached out. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. Um, what Bitcoin Did, that's my podcast. If you interested in learning more about bitcoin i keep it simple um, keep the questions easy and try to help people understand bitcoin through the amazing guests i have so yeah what bitcoin did in any podcast platform or what bitcoin did.com and i'm peter mccormack and you can find me on twitter trolling people <laughs> of course all right mate well it's been great as always oh, go spend the sunday with uh, with the kids and uh, really appreciate it Hey, big football match today. Belgium, Portugal. We'll go and enjoy that. All right, take it easy, Pete. Thank you. Take it easy. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again, Pete, for coming on and sharing all of those stories and giving us a look behind the scenes of what's been unfolding in front of your eyes over the last seven weeks. Can't wait for the documentary, mate. You know... We're all rooting for you, and you're going to kill that, I am sure. It's going to be a brilliant film to see this all unfold, what was going on down in uh, El Salvador, and uh, and anything else that you choose to put in, that film will be well-received, I'm sure, by us plebs that are um, just kind of, like I said at the beginning of the show, gagging for all of this information, just trying to keep up with how quick everything is moving in this space and uh, for you to have had a ringside seat for for this particular moment unfolding and sharing it with us all is brilliant thanks for your work man really appreciate it and thanks for um doing what you do thank you 
to all the plebs for tuning in and the support of the show. I really appreciate it. Whatever you do, however you support it, thank you. And of course, a big thanks to the show sponsors. You know who they are by now. They're the Bitcoin companies, coinfloor.co.uk, relay.ch, and swampbitcoin.com. Use forward slash bitten at all of those websites. And a plea to the plebs, especially if you're new, please make sure you take control of your keys. Get them on a Bitbox 2 hardware wallet. Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. I look forward to the next show, guys.